0: Well, church family, we want to continue worshiping by reading God's word together. And so if you have a copy of the scriptures, let me invite you to join me in Paul's first letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter six, 1 Timothy chapter six, as we continue in our series on earthly treasures, what do we do with the things that God has entrusted to us in this life? And as you're turning there, uh, let me just share with you that this past week, how appropriate that we would have several veterans in the room with us. My cousin, who is an officer in the United States Army, has been relocated from Fort Benning, Georgia, to Fort Campbell, Kentucky, and so over the last several days, our family has had the privilege of traveling up and down the road, taking out a small loan to pay for the gasoline to get back and forth to Clarksville, as many of you are experiencing these these days, um, and, and to help him unload and put together furniture, and to set up Uh, his new um, home and living there in the Clarksville area. And it was just so good to work together and to labor together. And maybe it was even the drive getting up there that made being there so much better. And then that that evening, Friday night, we sat around a table as a family and we broke bread together. And it just was so good after working hard and the richness of our love for one another. And I I literally, I, I saw my sons talking with my cousins and the family and just visiting. I pushed back from the table and and the best word to describe it was I just folded my arms and I was content. I was content. In that brief moment, I felt I don't need anything else. I am content. I have a sufficiency of everything I could possibly need in this moment. Now in this sermon series, we are talking about contentment. We're talking about our earthly treasures. And for many of us, we We enjoy those moments, and we wish they would last longer. We wish we could bottom up and extrapolate every bit of contentment out of them. And I want to tell you, there is nothing wrong with pursuing contentment. But oftentimes, when I got in the car and I woke up Saturday morning, I had to get somewhere at 6.30 in the morning, I wasn't thinking, I am content. I was thinking, I am tired. And we wish we could hold on to it, right? I just want to challenge you and encourage you. Ultimate and total contentment that is lasting and consistent. Sometimes it feels more palpable than in one season than another season. But total, lasting, complete sufficiency and contentment is available. And it is only made possible through the person of Jesus Christ. That's why we preach Jesus, that's why we talk about Jesus, that's why we make much of Jesus. And as we look at what we pursue to find contentment, that's why we would go to Jesus to see what he says about things. So let me invite you to stand with me in honor of God's word this morning. And we're going to read 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. As the Holy Spirit, the presence of the risen Jesus, speaks through the Apostle Paul, not only to Timothy, but to the church at Avenue South about contentment. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these things. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction come from that temptation." For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for you brought nothing into this world, and guess what? You'll take nothing out of this world. So the goal then is to find contentment while we live in this world, and it can only be found through the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pause and pray just a moment before we dig in a little bit further. God, I just want to give you praise. Uh, Thank you so much for the testimony of a man who's placed his faith in you and come forward in obedience through baptism. Thank you for the testimony of students, adolescents, teenagers, who are giving up a week of their summer to obediently go serve people seven hours away in a city that is unfamiliar to many of them so that people might feel and sense the love of Jesus and come to faith in Christ. God, these are two examples of so many wonderful things that are happening in the life of this church. Oh God, would you cause us to always, and especially this morning, for any man, woman, teenager, or child who is looking for contentment, who is looking for that sense of satisfaction, let them find it in Christ and Christ alone. And I pray that that would bring them hope, comfort, and confidence so that whether we share the gospel through baptism or through a mission trip or leave this place in just a few moments to share with the server or the person who is hosting us in their home or feeding us a meal this afternoon, let us make much of Jesus and the contentment that we have in Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we've shared the first week uh, I shared and Hunter shared last week that Paul was writing to Timothy, but Timothy was a pastor to the Ephesians, the church in Ephesus. And many of the Ephesian people, many of the Ephesian Christians, much like today, were trying to scratch out a living And as the gospel of Jesus advanced in Ephesus and around the known world, the gospel advanced, Christianity, faith in Christ, and this new religious belief, this following of Jesus Christ, as the one true God began to grow in influence and popularity, and even the church grew. And as that happened, there were some who chose to leverage the growth and the popularity and the influence of the gospel of Jesus Christ to scratch out their Living Now, what Paul had been doing in the first few verses of chapter 6 was addressing people who weren't really committed followers of Jesus but looked at the growth of the gospel and chose to leverage it to make income or to pursue material gain. In the first century, there were those who pursued ministry or pursued serving in the church so people might bless them, provide food for them. And one of the things I'm often mindful of is if you've ever seen someone or been around someone that you felt like was leveraging The gospel of Jesus for their own personal income, for their own personal growth. Paul was addressing that in the first part of this chapter. But there were some in the church in Ephesus that they were sincere and they were truly born again. And just whether intentionally or unintentionally, by their flesh, they wanted to leverage their godliness and their growth in Christ for material gain. These people sought what they were looking for in possessions or wealth or income was contentment. That feeling I talked about just a moment ago of being satisfied and finally arriving at a place where I have what I need. Now there's nothing wrong to pursue contentment. But you and I, as Paul would tell the church in Ephesus, should evaluate our sources of where we go for contentment. We should evaluate our sources for where we go for contentment. Paul even said, one of the most difficult and challenging things is that there are those of us who actually find ourselves wrapped up in the pursuit of contentment by money or resources or even material possessions. That's what this series is about. We often talk about our time, our talents, and our treasure. But did you know Jesus talked about our earthly treasures? He talked about money. He talked about what we do with income just as much and sometimes even more than he did about the words and... Emphasis of grace and mercy. It was pretty important because Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, if you follow the line of what you collect and where our earthly treasures are, it will reveal what's in your heart. And so we read just a moment ago that there are dangers associated with pursuing contentment that is unchecked or undisciplined. He says in verse 9, if you still have your scripture open, those who want to be rich fall into temptation. It's a trap and many harmful and foolish desires which can plunge you into ruin and destruction. I've shared with you before that the flesh only knows one word. Your flesh, apart from Jesus, only knows the word more. That even if you get what you're after, is it ever enough? It can plunge you into ruin. One of the things that happened during the last economic recession in 2008 and 2009 is Many financial advisors, they are well-known throughout the world, and there are people like Bernie Madoff and other stories that they had schemes where they were investing money and spending it on their own of other people's income, and when the economy went south, they, they couldn't prop it up any longer, and it, it not only led to their ruin and their destruction, but it, have, it affected and impacted others who lost everything in that process. We, we know intuitively we're aware of examples of people who pursue contentment in riches and actually it leads them into destruction but i'm going to suggest to you the reason paul would mention this the reason we would talk about that this morning is that none of us say you know what i'll do i'm going to pursue wealth and riches and absolutely destroy my life and my family relationships i'm going to harm the people that i work with and that believe in me and none of us would knowingly say that right But but obedience and following Jesus is just one foot in front of the other, one tiny little step in front of the other. If you take one tiny little step and you start wandering away from God, you look up and you wake up one morning and you realize maybe this applies to you. Maybe you've wandered so far away from him. How did I get here? What happened? Which is why it's so important to be in biblical community, which is why it's so important to have people that love you and evaluate your motives and encourage you to consider your growth in Christ and what you're pursuing for contentment. Paul even said in verse 10, look with me, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith. Now this does not mean they lost their salvation. Once you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you you can't sin so bad that he removes what Jesus accomplished for you on the cross. Now you can sin and wander away from God in a way that makes you feel shamed and embarrassed to approach him. And when you and I sin, it hinders the intimacy and the closeness of our relationship. What Paul is saying here is there are Christians, there are those in the church in Ephesus, and maybe those that are Christians in North America, that the love of money has become something that's caused them to wander away from the faith, and they've pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, I want to point out something here. He says, for the love of money is a root of evil of all kinds. Paul doesn't preach against money and he's not saying that money in and of itself is bad. I look around this room, I look around our congregation, and there are many of you that you are hard working because those are your core values and you believe in being diligent in what you do, even because Jesus has told you by doing so, by being a faithful or diligent employee, that you might win others to faith in Christ by the way you behave and by the way you work and by the way you treat others. And in the process, you've earned income. Many in this room, many in our congregation have disposable income, even in times of high inflation. And it is a byproduct of your hard work and your effort. Paul's not saying that's wrong. He's not saying that that you should feel guilty about that, nor am I. That's not what he's saying here. But it is important to evaluate what do we find contentment in. Let me ask you this. If you had to make a list of what gives you the most contentment, what would it be? I want you this afternoon, sometime this week, to make a list of the top three to five things that bring you the most contentment. Is is it a meal with family? Is is it a possession? Is, Is it clothing? Is it having the home or the property or whatever it is? Paul simply saying, don't wander through life aimlessly. Evaluate where your contentment comes from because you might actually wander away from the Lord. And I think a really good thing for us to do is to think about those three to five things. And maybe you're like, well, I, I get a lot of contentment out of a whole lot of things. You don't have to stop at five. You may list 10, 20, 35. I don't care. That's between you and Jesus. But if those things were gone today, would you still be content? If those things were removed, if they were stripped away, if you lost them by, by, by no action of your own, If they were removed, would you still be content? An incredibly sobering reminder. Look at what Paul says in verse 7. We brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world. We brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world. Now, I look around this room, and everybody in this room knows that's true. You did not need a sermon to realize the obvious truth that you brought nothing into the world, and you can't take anything out of it when you leave. And why would Paul tell us that? Well, he's emphasizing the the transient nature of material things. There's nothing wrong with enjoying. Paul said that to Timothy in chapter 1, that you should enjoy what the Lord's given you and placed in your hand. There's nothing wrong with that. We said Paul's not preaching against money, but he wants us to realize these things are passing. They're fading. They're transient. You can't take it into eternity with you. Job, who I know many of you love getting up and reading from your devotionals in Job, I know you love gravitating to Job to read a devotional that's going to fire you up for the rest of the day. But Job said it this way. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. King Solomon, wisest man who's ever lived the planet, he said it this way. As a man comes from his mother's womb, so he will go again, naked, and he will take nothing for his efforts that he can carry in his hands. This, too, is a sickening stra—a sickening tragedy. I love Solomon's honesty. Like, that makes me sick. I can't take any of the splendor with me. I can't take any of the wealth. As Solomon loved horses. He loved horses, and he enjoyed his palatial estates. Like, he He enjoyed those things. He said, you know, in my flesh, like, it's sickening. I can't take any of that with me. But I just want to go ahead and state the obvious. Naked I came into this world. Naked I will leave. Now, now Jesus said it this way in a parable, which is a story that illustrates a greater truth. A rich man's land was very productive, and he thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? Well, i tell you what, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns. And I'll store all my grain and my goods there. And then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored for many years. You know what you should do? You should take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. Then you can be content. And I'm going to suggest to you, like the like the man in this parable, if you actually got, can I ask you this? If you made a list of everything you're after in life, I'm a big believer in goals. I'm a big believer in being proactive and being assertive. If you made a list of everything you're after, and just just go there with me for a moment, if you got it all, is there anything else that you feel you would need? Because the stories of people who get everything they're after and they say, is that it? Is there something else? Surely there's more to this life. This man said, you know what, I'll just build bigger barns. And that wouldn't have solved it because he still would have wanted more. And God said to him in this parable Jesus told, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. you don't, you're not promised tomorrow. This night your life is demanded of you. One of the things I've been doing the past three weeks is reading Ecclesiastes out of the Old Testament in compliment to our time in First Timothy Because Solomon says many of the same things. It's so important for you to work hard. You should feel very good about your hard work and your labor. You're to be commended for that. And enjoy the things that come about because of that. But carry a good healthy balance that those things aren't what can bring you long-term contentment. And they could be gone at a moment's notice. And I love his honesty. And that stinks. But that's real. Because the thing of this world are temporal I have been reading Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, get a steady diet of the full complement of Scripture, and I've been reading our dear brother James in the New Testament. James says it this way in James chapter 4. Your life is like a mist and a vapor. Even, I mentioned this the first Sunday, the, the, the average age of the lifespan of a male adult in the United States is approximately 76 years old, and for women it's 82. Well done, ladies, well done. My grandmother that we just moved here from the state of Alabama to be in assisted living is 93. She's freaking crushing it. But the average lifespan is 76, 82, right? Like it's your, your life, even that long, well-lived life up against thousands of years of history is a mist and a vapor, and it could be gone like that. This is a sobering reminder. Listen, Paul's saying this, Job saying this, Solomon saying this. James says this, Old Testament, New Testament, full complement of Scripture is pleading with the church at Avenue South. Realize, enjoy what God's put in your hand. Enjoy what he's put in your bank account, the furniture in your home, uh, the ability to break bread and purchase a meal and go on trips and enjoy the beach and travel the world. Like, that's all good. Just realize those things are transient in nature. You will not take them with you. So I think it's so important for us, if if you had to come face-to-face with this reality today, would you do anything different? And and I'm going to tell you, for some people, we we, we do not, they do not arrive at this point until you realize you're dealing with some health struggle. I've sat with men and women that are dealing with with, with end-of-life issues, and they don't, listen, what a privilege and an honor for me to be invited into that moment as a pastor. No one ever talks about more things. I know you know that. But if you could sit in that moment for just a moment this, this morning, would it change how you leverage what God has blessed you with, let's call them earthly treasures, the rest of your life? One of the things this has caused me to do during the sermon series is evaluate how much time I spend on devices when I'm in the presence of my children. When I'm in the presence of my children. That, those are things that bring me contentment. Those are things that bring me great joy. That's what matters most. Guys, I don't know how to play Xbox. I get crushed every time I get on it. But when I sat down with the boys last night and we were talking about a new game, I just sat there and listened like, Holy Spirit, give me the wisdom to wrap my mind around what they're talking about. And I put my phone away. or you leave it in the car? Like, w- would it change if you knew the Lord arrives and says, this is the end of your story here on earth, but, I, but I'm bringing you with me. Like, this moment has arrived for you. Would it change how, how you live? Would it change what you collect or what you spend your resources on? Would it? I think this is so important for us. Paul, in this text, is saying just be mindful of that. Be sober about that. Be cognizant of that. But he also talks about where you can find true, lasting contentment. That can't be stolen, can't be taken away. Did you see what he said in verse 6? Look with me in verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment, being satisfied. And the word here in verse 6 is to have a sufficiency, I am sufficient. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm content. I have a sufficiency. Like, I don't long for anything. I don't want anything. What Paul is illustrating here is because life and these things of life are transient. They are passing. That you and I should search for contentment and that feeling of satisfaction in things that last. In things that last. I know you know this, but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who created all things that can be seen and known, the God who created you and knit you together and knows you best and loves you most is the only source of eternal stability that can provide the lasting contentment that you and I are searching for. God's plan for humanity is that you and I were created to be fully and completely content in one thing and one thing alone. And that is him. And one of my prayers that I pray each day, one of my prayers that I pray each week is Lord, let me be content in you. Let me be content in you. And I, I pray that when nothing's wrong. like I'm, I mean, I, I feel pretty good. I woke up this morning. I'm like, it's so good to see you. We got baptisms. We got mission trips, like a mission trip got back at 1230 last night from Guatemala for men and women. like this is a great day. Lord today, Help me find my contentment in you. Can I ask you to pray for the next six days until we come back together that prayer? Would you pray that prayer every day? Today, Jesus, help me find my contentment and my satisfaction in you first. And then the Lord will allow you to enjoy everything else as it should be. Now, the problem is, if that's God's plan for us, that we'd be fully satisfied in him, sin has distorted our ability To appreciate that and to find contentment in Christ, right? Wouldn't the enemy love for us to never find contentment in Christ? And that's why some of us have looked for contentment in other things, even worldly possessions. But I want to tell you something. On the cross at Calvary, Jesus died to forgive, make atonement or payment for our sins possible. Jesus died to make forgiveness of sin available. He He died to reconcile us because at birth... Job, Solomon, others, we came into the world naked and separated, sinful, separated from a holy and righteous God. On the cross, Jesus died to make it possible for us to repent of our sin and enter into a relationship with God the way he's always wanted us to have it. But one of the things he also made available on the cross is contentment. Jesus opened up the door for you and I to access contentment from the one and true God who is the only one who can provide it in thick and in thin no matter what our circumstances or what we're going through. I'm going to suggest to you that the apostle Paul who went through so many different things and so many struggles and hardship and he even told the church in Corinth that he had a thorn in his flesh. We don't know exactly what that is but there was something he prayed about and said Jesus take it away and the Lord wouldn't take it away for whatever reason and Just so you know, if the Lord allows suffering or something to come into your life, and he doesn't remove it when you pray for it, it is possible the Lord is using that thing to refine and shape you, like deepen your dependency on him and to shape your trust in Jesus so that you look more like him to a watching world, a vessel, a treasure for the world to see how God is at work in your life. But Paul suffered, and he had hardships, but he said this to the church in Philippi, and you know the church in Philippi is my favorite church in the New Testament. He said, I have rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again, you renewed your care for me. They always tried to care for Paul, even from a distance. You were in fact concerned about me and you lacked the opportunity to show me in person that you were concerned about me. And I appreciate you expressing that. I don't say this out of need. I don't need anything from you for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances that I find myself in. Hey, there's been times where I have had little in life. Rock bottom. And I know how to make do with a lot. There's been moments where you've been very generous, and the Lord's been generous to me. And in any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things. I am able to be sustained. I am able to find contentment through Christ who strengthens me. I'm able to find contentment. I'm able to find satisfaction. Because if God is fully self-sufficient, God is the uncaused cause. Nobody created him. Nobody thought him up. He's always existed. And if God doesn't need anything from you or anything from anybody else to exist and be fully sufficient, that means when you place your faith in Jesus, guess what Jesus provides to you. You and I are not God, but he makes the sufficiency of God manifest in your life where it it, it'd be nice to have a little more. There's nothing wrong with wanting a little more. Maybe even in your flesh, wanting a little more, but, but you don't need those things. Did you notice what Paul said in verse 8? Hey, if we got food and clothing, hey, we're good. We're good. I don't need more. I'd like more, but I don't need more. Hunter did a nice job of preaching the sermon last week, and he shared this, that in the first century, if you knew where your next meal was coming from, you were considered blessed. Blessed. Because you didn't have food insecurity. You didn't have to struggle with that. Like, I can sleep at night with a more peace, more confidence. Like, I am blessed. Hey, Paul says this, even in 2022. If you know where your next meal is coming from, if you have food and shelter, guess what? Be content in that. First, be content in God. And then be content in what you have. The author of Hebrews said it this way. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. Be satisfied with what you have. Let me encourage you to do something else. There are some of us that the Lord has put more resources in your hand than maybe your peers or others. That's okay. But I want you to make a list of how God's been generous to you with earthly treasures. This week, make a list of how God's been generous to you with the earthly treasures he's given you. If you feel like I'm saying that, and Aaron, that, that, that stings. That hurts because, man, I'm working so hard and no fault of mine. Like, I, I, don't, I don't have a lot. If you have your health, and this isn't me. Like, if you have your health, if you have food and shelter, the apostle Paul said, write that on your list. If, if you got nothing else, write down, God, I can't believe you saved me from my sin. I can't believe I don't have to spend eternity separated from you in a literal place called hell because, God, you sent your son to die for me. All, all I've got, Aaron, is salvation. The Apostle Paul said, tell Jesus you're grateful for that. I I think one of the best things for us to do is to express our gratitude that we are grateful for what God has done for us. In seasons of plenty, if that's you, like Paul said, return your gratitude to the Lord today. If, If it's a season where it's lean, find what it is that God has been so faithful and so good. Salvation, food, clothing, shelter. Thank you, Jesus. I don't, I, I don't deserve any of that. And, and the reason we can say that is because none of us deserved what Jesus did for us. None of us deserved Jesus' sacrificial death. But he did it out of great love, compassion, and obedience to the Father. I don't deserve that. I don't deserve anything I've got. You don't deserve anything we've got. So one of the things I, I want to share with you is like if you're, if you're struggling, like you, you lack contentment. You, you lack contentment. And you're like, I, you know, as you're preaching, and if you actually kind of thought a little bit about what brings you contentment and, and what you're pursuing, you're like, I just, I'm just i not content in life. One of the greatest antidotes in Scripture for being discontent is generosity. One of the greatest antidotes, we've talked about this the last two weeks, one of the greatest antidotes, if you're like, I, I know Jesus, I know this text, I don't feel like obeying it, but you yeah, Be generous. Just be generous. When you go out to lunch, instead of tipping 20%, they put that little 10%, 15%. We've got a lot of people in this church in food services. Tip 25%. Tip 50%. Do something extravagant. Give and serve somebody in a way, even if they don't deserve it, because isn't that what Jesus did for us? Simply be generous with what he's put in your hands. If you can't take it with you, what should you do with it while you're on earth? There are people who are giving to fund mission trips so these teenagers can go. That is meaningful. That's eternally significant. You will measure the full impact of that when you meet Jesus. And perhaps if there are people in New Orleans who come to faith in Christ because of your support of this trip, you'll meet those men and women if they should come to faith in Christ in the years ahead as a result of that. That's lasting, right? What is it you want to do with what God's put in your hand? Be generous with what you have. Give something to someone in need, even if they don't deserve it, because that's what Jesus did for you and me. Begin trusting him with your resources. There's, there's someone who passed away a few months ago at the Brentwood campus, and I was friends with them, and, and, and I loved his mentorship in my life. And the family said, what we want to do, even in his passing, is instead of flowers, he loved children, and he did. He served in the in the preschool and children's ministry. Instead of asking people to bring flowers, Would it be okay with you if we have people in his honor donate towards funding a new playground at the new church property you're going to move into next year? That's what we'd like to do with the earthly resources that people want to bless him and our family with. What is it you want to do with what God's given you to be generous, to make sure you're pursuing the things that bring you ultimate contentment, which is Christ, and then being grateful for what you have? I want to encourage you over the next few days and especially the next week, to evaluate what God's put in your hand, to be grateful for it and to be generous with it. Let me invite our worship team up to the platform, and I'm just going to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. I, I, I confess to you, I, I want to be grateful that i got food and shelter, and I don't need anything else. But sometimes I struggle with that. I'm, I'm guessing I'm not the only one in the room. So if you're struggling to be content and you know God's been so good to you already, again, pray in the next few moments in the next week. God, let me be content in you. And give me a heart that's grateful for what I do have. If as we've been walking through this text, the Lord prompted you with a way to be generous in the week ahead, and you know exactly what God's calling you to do, and I'm guessing he may have already been kind of prompting your heart to perhaps be generous with what he's given you. You maybe already know what that is. I've given some some pretty basic examples of how you might want to be generous in the week ahead. But one of the greatest antidotes to a lack of contentment, obviously, is placing your faith in Christ, but then to be generous with what he's given you. So let me give you about 120 seconds to consider what you need to do with this text. I would grieve if the worship was God-honoring and impactful as it has been this morning baptisms and mission trips were commissioned, and yet when we walk out these doors, nothing changed in our life. That would grieve me. So you spend time with Jesus over the next couple of minutes committing to how you're going to be obedient to this text so that it makes its way into the fabric of your life over the next several days. Let's pray together, and then Marcus will have a stand and sing in response.